This week, we dove into the world of performance management. The last decade has seen significant change across virtually every function in business. The evolution of marketing, sales, customer success, product, and operations departments have been tremendous. HR, on the other hand, has been a laggard. Historically a back office cost center, typical HR organizations have followed the mandate of being compliant, administrative, and doing less. But this curve has started to shift materially over the last five years. We have a war for talent amongst employers, and leverage has fundamentally shifted to the employee. COVID has provided a decentralization multiplier to this war and increased opportunity sets for talent worldwide. In 2018, I had Jack Altman, founder and CEO of Lattice on the program, to discuss how HR has evolved. Since then, Lattice has raised over $100 million and recently hit a billion dollar valuation. So I invited Jack back on to discuss his thoughts on a rocket ship journey of Lattice and how his thinking on performance management has evolved after serving as an executive in the space. This conversation was packed with insights on how to be an effective people leader. Welcome, Jack. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Jack, excited to have you back on the show today. It's been you know almost two and a half years since we had you on last. Uh, and in that time frame, in the entire world has literally changed. Uh, Lattice has continued to progress. You guys most recently raised at a billion dollar valuation. Um, and more importantly, I think in the macroeconomic landscape, COVID obviously has had a huge inflection point for how organizations think about work and, and people management. We're going to jump into both of those topics more uh, in more depth today. But before that, just remind our audience what Lattice is and the state of the company today. Yeah, so we think of Lattice as a people management platform. And so what that means in slightly more specific terms is we've got products around things like performance management, employee engagement surveys, career development, OKRs and goal setting, one-on-ones. Basically, what we're trying to do is create this broad and connected set of tools around people management that we think leads to sort of healthier company cultures and ultimately more productive businesses. And I, I would say sort of the, the theme of what we're going after is we really believe that the future of great companies looks like people centricity. It's going to be companies who believe that investing in people and figuring out ways to make the employees successful is sort of the best avenue to creating a healthy company. And so that has different implications for different parts of the process. But as a couple of examples in performance management, it means that what you want to do if you think of the employee as your customer is how do I make them feel a sense of growth? How do I help them feel like they're learning? How do I make them feel like they're you know, at a company who wants to invest in their future career? And so how do I set up a performance management system that's all about developing and retaining and you know, in, in some ways even attracting employees, but um, really putting the employee's needs at the center. Or in engagement surveys, if you think of the employee as your customer, you of course need to ask them how they're doing and make sure that sort of this product that you're giving the employee, which is sort of the experience of working at your company, that that's working for them, that you're following up on it. Um, or in career development, it's about making sure that you lay out a path of progression for the employees so that you know, they, they understand where they're at today, what it takes to get to that next level, understanding that their manager and the company are investing in them. But it's basically all of these tools around this idea of sort of people-centric people management. Yeah, and last time we chatted, we set the framework on how HR had changed since the recession, you know, moving from a back office cost center to being more of a strategic lever in the organization. 
uh, it clearly sounds like you still believe in that premise. At the same time, um, you know, the market has fundamentally shifted. And I, I'm curious to get your perspective on just how the market thinks about talent now uh, and how that's shifted since the onset of the pandemic. What have been your guys' observations? Well, I think at first, in some ways, it got called into question. So like right when the pandemic went down, a lot of customers or a lot of prospects, I should say, became very wary of adopting tools like Lattice. And we saw a real slowdown for a couple of months as companies were sort of just getting it together. And we weren't sort of sure what that would mean for the long term. But pretty quickly thereafter, I think once companies got their bearings, we actually felt a great tailwind from it. And I think partially it was due to remote. And I think in a remote world, tools like Lattice are, are, are a little bit more important. But I think the other thing that's just happened is the market for talent has really just become as crazily competitive as ever. And I think that's happened for a number of reasons. One, just when the economy is doing well and when unemployment is super low, you see companies really competing and you see valuations that are sky high and that leads to more competition. Um, there's more startups being started than ever that leads to more competition. So there's a whole host of reasons, but um, the, if anything, the change that we've seen is that the the power balance has continued sort of shifting from companies to employees. And I think that's the shift that we sort of have believed in and sort of been tracking this whole time, but it, it feels like it's really accelerated in the past year. Um, and so I think you see a lot more companies trying to, um, you know, kind of fight that tide by saying, all right, we need to be one of the greatest places for people to work. And what does that look like? How do we make that a reality? And so people are thinking about, helping people feel connected to their mission? How do we make people feel like their, their careers can take off here? How do we make sure that people are going to feel like they're learning here? Of course, there's also other stuff like, you know, compensation, making sure that the benefits are good. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of like sort of baseline things, but I think a lot of it has kind of come down to how do we deliver an amazing employee experience to be competitive for talent? And so talk a little bit more about the products, right? And how how you kind of take that those macro observations and you actually translate them into software and tools. I think last time we talked, you guys were on the verge of releasing the engagement product. Since then, you've, of course, you know, released engagement, you have Grow, uh, you also have a remote people management product. Talk a little bit about how you've tied those observations to actual you know, products that organizations can use. Yeah, I think, I think Grow has been, Grow's been an interesting one. And just to like describe what Grow does quickly, Grow basically helps you establish architecture for what career development looks like at your company. So it's things like job levels and ladders and career progression plans with your manager, basically helping employees understand what's needed for them. Um, one, one of the interesting observations, I think, um, that, we, that we heard a lot from customers was we heard this sort of wide sense of frustration from people particularly complaining about newer to the workforce employees who were asking, you know, six months into their job tenure, what is my next raise or when's my next promotion and what does that look like? And I think for so many of us who have been in the workforce, this represents kind of like a new, a new wave and a new mentality where, you know, so many people get frustrated by that because they're thinking, oh gosh, you know, all these new entrants into the workforce are so entitled and they want these promotions and they're not ready and all of this stuff. And, you know, my, my thought with that, like with so many other things was always, you can't really fight these systemic tides. And so if what you do in response to that is to just say, gosh, you know, these, these, new, these new young people are so, you know, focused on their own, you know, promotions and they want to get all this new uh, compensation and they want to be, you know, the CEO in a year, like, 
um, I'm just going to be frustrated. I'm going to just, you know, sort of shut down on that. That's not going to be a winning strategy. Um, and obviously you also, you know, you can't just hand out promotions constantly when people don't deserve them. And so we thought, okay, well, what is the winning strategy in that new world? Um, and we thought grow was kind of like what the right answer to that would be, which is, Hey, here's, you know, it's amazing that you want to be ambitious and that you want your career to take off. And that's great. And we want to be a place where you can do that. But let me explain to you, like, here's what is needed for that next role. Here's the skills you need. Here's the competencies. Here's the things you need to be able to prove that you can do. And I, as your manager and company, I'm going to be right there helping you along the way. And I'm going to support you. I'm going to train you if you want to. I'm going to make sure that you get the right people around you so that you can learn from them. But um, you got to get there. And I think that mentality of how do we channel that ambition? How do we help people, you know, make that progress? Um, I think that's, that's like the winning approach. And so that, that's what grow is, that's what grow is meant to do. Um, some of these other products like engage, I think, I think the insight there was um, we, we weren't the first company to do employee engagement surveys. We had um, seen a lot of other companies build them successfully. And I think, you know, a lot of customers had already um, used those in the past and found a lot of value from them. I think our sort of insight was that this is a market where combining these products together and getting customers to a place where they can do all of these things under one roof was going to be tremendously valuable. And so after having launched performance for a couple of years saying, okay, we're now ready pretty early for a company in general to go into a second product, but we're going to make that leap on the early side. And not only that, we're actually going to build a muscle so that we can keep shipping products so that we can become this multi-product company. Um, that was important to us. And we thought that had a whole host of advantages. I think one of the interesting things I think about whenever I think about the lattice product and kind of watch um, you know, the company from the outside in and, and your guys' progression, my mind always goes back to this piece that Greylock wrote a few years ago called The New Moat. Um, and in that piece, they described systems of intelligence as the new moat. I'm just going to lay that out at a, at a really high level for our listeners so we have a common basis upon you know which, which we'll have this discussion. But effectively, what Greylock said is there's you know two kinds of historical software products. There are systems of engagement, so think you know web, mobile, chat, etc., and then systems of record, so your CRM, your ERP, different sorts of you know technology backbone systems. But the new moats are systems of intelligence, so software that have both components. You engage with them, you use them in your day to day, but by definition, they're record keeping, right? And they're and they're maintaining data, and and these new moats are ones and these new kind of pieces of software are ones that have the engagement side and the record keeping side interact with one another and then leverage this kind of virtuous cycle of continuous improvement and of intelligence, right? Um, my mind always goes to that concept when I think about you know, the different products and kind of the, the suite of how these products come together and, and what that must be forming on the back end from an analytics perspective. How do you think about that concept as it applies to Lattice? Is that an accurate diagnosis or you think of it kind of completely differently? Yeah, that's that's probably accurate. I mean, I, I always think of systems of record as like storing critical source of truth data and then systems of engagement as sort of pipes that information flows through, like chat or something like that. And Lattice certainly does have elements of both. So like we we do have these artifacts that you store where you want to look back at them and you want to pull information out of them. So these would be things like a performance review or an engagement survey or a career progression history. Um, and then on the other hand, we've got a lot of sort of system and engagement type of things where there's you know, kudos walls and praise that flows through Slack, where there's one-on-ones data that is 
you know, a little bit more ephemeral, although of course it still stores. So I, I do think we have elements of both. Um, I don't know that we've yet pulled all of the different ways together for how we can connect those, but I can give you some examples of the types of things that we try to do. Um, but the way I try to think about this is around those core artifacts. So for example, like the biggest one for us is a performance review. What are the ways that we can pull that ongoing system of engagement type of data back in? And so when you think about, let's say I'm giving a performance review to somebody on my team, what might I want to know? What might I want to see in context of that? How might I want to connect those things? Well, one great way to do that would be to reach back and find all of the great praise that that person has received from their peers or all of the constructive feedback that they've received over the last six months that I might've forgotten about, or maybe it's context around how they performed against a goal or one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and th this also, by the way, it connects not just to this engagement and system of record combo, but also the idea of why we really find it important to have a broad suite of products um, is because I really think that we're getting to a world where there's so much dispersion of SaaS of so many products that these teams are using, so many systems that an employee needs to log into, so many rollouts that a team needs to do, and you know all the back backend stitching together of data. It's it's really cumbersome. The number of apps that the average company is using is kind of horrifying. You know, you you talk to a company like Lattice, you might be using hundreds. You talk to a bigger enterprise, you might be using thousands. Um, it's it's kind of unmanageable. And so, for all of these reasons, I think where there are opportunities for companies to build more of these things together. Um, kind of what I, Parker Conrad has termed like a compound startup, which I certainly love the idea of. And, you know, I, I really would like for Lattice to continue leaning into becoming that. I think that's where a lot of the magic can happen. And I think in general, these compound startups tend to have elements of, of both. And, and that's, that's what we're trying to be. So, yeah, I, I think that does apply to Lattice. Yeah, and flush that flush that um, phrase of a compound startup. That's interesting. I haven't heard that before from um, from from Palmer or anybody. Flush that out a little bit more of what that means. And and I think if I'm understanding it correctly, we're we're kind of heading down the pathway of what what I'd love to get your take on, which is you, know, you guys have about 3,500 customers today. When when I think of kind of interesting systems of intelligence, and they all follow this similar pattern of starting out often as either you know, simple systems of engagement that of course manifest data on the backend side. Uh, but as those companies progress or as those products progress uh, and as they collect more and more data, they become more and more interesting in terms of application at scale. And I'm curious how you think about you know, this concept of compound startup and really this concept of a system of intelligence when you guys accelerate to 10,000, 50,000, know, 100,000 customers, what, what excites you the most when you start thinking about that level of scale? Yeah, well, and I think what what, what I think the, the 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 phrase compound startup or the way that Lattice is trying to build its, its business is I think I think it's fundamentally driven by the fact that it's actually becoming easier and easier to start new products. It's still very difficult to maintain them at scale and to really flesh out the full feature set, but. Um, it, there are more and more companies who are able to get footholds in various different parts of, of any uh, admin user stack. And so a compound startup is basically something where you take a bunch of different feature needs or product needs and you staple them together into one holistic, more elegant solution that pulls these things together and solves multiple business needs all in one. And that's valuable for a whole bunch of reasons. One is it means you have fewer rollouts for the customer. Um, it means that they don't need to go through as many vendor security issues. It means you don't have to do as many employee trainings and have as many logins. 
it means that you don't have to try to use APIs and stitch stuff together on the back end if you want the data to talk to one another. Um, and then finally, I think a lot of times, so many of these business processes are really interconnected. So like in Lattice's case, the way that a performance review goes and the way a career development conversation goes and the way my one-on-ones are and probably my employee engagement surveys, these things are going to be really connected. And so it makes a lot of sense if you can to get them inside the same system where you can do a lot more powerful things. So that's the that's the idea. And then in terms of what I think is exciting as Lattice scales from you know, a, a couple thousand or a few thousand users, customers today to tens of thousands or a hundred thousand customers in the future is really the insights that we're going to be able to drive across wide sets of customer bases and the learnings that we'll be able to pull about here's what worked in this particular type of company at this time. And there's a bunch of companies that look like you that are highly open, that are 200 employees that work in technology. And here's what we know about that. And you actually need, because companies are so home heterogeneous, you really need wide data sets in order to be able to pull useful insights or intelligence across companies. But when you start to get up into the tens or hundreds of thousands of customers with millions and millions of employees, you can start to see some patterns. And I think for us, that'll manifest as things like really great product insights, really great nudges that we can give to managers, or even really just great guidance that we're able to give you know, our customers in a human way by synthesizing a lot of data. So I think it'll allow us to become smarter and more consultative as a company to our customers with much more of a data-backed understanding. And I imagine at 3,500, you're starting to see, you know, some of those types of patterns, at least, even if the data set's not, you know, incredibly expansive yet. You, you wrote a book recently called People Strategy, How to Invest in People and Make Culture Your Competitive Advantage. There's lots of books on people strategy, performance management, et cetera. What was the impetus that drove you to write the book? And what were the key insights, right? What are some of the non-obvious or unique elements about people management, you know, you were able to service through the book? Yeah, well, I think our goal with writing the book was to kind of outline what people strategy is. Like, I think it's this newer term. There's been, you know, obviously a long history of people talking about product strategy or go-to-market strategy. Um, I think the idea of having like a people strategy is somewhat newer. Like HR just changed its name or is still in the process of changing its name to people ups over the last several years. And I think that partially is emblematic of this transition. But to me, people strategy is about being really intentional with all of the decisions that you make around your people in the same way that you would around your product or your go-to-market. And so it's saying, what are our top business goals? And then how does the way that we set up our people operation work? Do we do remote? Do we not? Do we pay top of market? Do we pay middle of market? Do we have managers with tremendous amounts of experience or not? Do we need super experienced engineers or not? Do we want to make sure that we're operating globally yet or not, you know, like there's all of these different decisions. And I think you can either sort of fly by the seat on your pants as them as, as many of us do. And, you know, cer- certainly Lattice is not a perfect company either. We, we often sort of just uh, roll with the punches without thinking through every single detail. But I think to the extent that it's possible to be thoughtful about what is our core company strategy and then how does the way that we manage, employ, attract, retain, develop people, how might that fit back in? And so the book is basically about 
looking across all of our customers and all of the history we've had and what we've seen in our product usage and um, all that we've gotten to learn from our awesome sort of, you know, the head of people, customers, and try to synthesize it down into like, what are the elements and not here's the way to do each thing, but based on your own overall business strategy, your situation, your market, what might work for you. And so it, it really is sort of a framework around all of the different elements of it rather than a particular prescription of here's the right way to do things. And let's let's talk about that framework. So I think the framework in the book you recommend companies follow again at a at a 50,000 foot view is, you know, four primary buckets: establish, develop, monitor, leverage. Talk about each of those steps and then how they form that overarching performance management system that that companies can apply on top of their context. Yeah, uh, you know, I think there's like a whole lot of I guess I would zoom back out to like what's the goal of performance management in the first place? Like why are you trying to do performance management at all as opposed to like not doing it? And it's actually funny because if you look way back into the past, people used to do performance management completely differently. Like 10 years ago plus or 20 years ago, um, it was this pretty like onerous uh, process where people would go through and they would do this once a year, very hierarchical, very painful, very long process uh, where they would rate the employee, they would you know, they would promote some and they would fire some and then everybody else would sort of just kind of like get through it with sweaty palms. And then 10 years ago or so, a lot of companies said like, this isn't working. Like employees hate this. We're just going to get rid of it. And people completely did away with it. Um, and so then there was this vacuum. And I think it was in this vacuum that companies determined, uh, you know, what is it that we need out of this? Because not having it wasn't working. You, you saw these problems, like for example, turned out that when you don't have performance management at all, um, lots of people never get any feedback because if you just sort of ask the managers to give feedback whenever they can, many will be sort of lazy or won't know how to do it or won't prioritize it. And so a lot of employees will just get, you know, zero support in their career. Um, there was also a sense of a lot of these, you know, companies who, who got rid of performance management that it ended up leading to like a really political culture where instead of merit getting you ahead. It was, does your manager like you? Did somebody advocate for you? Did someone just say, hey, this person should get a promotion? And if so, like, just go ahead and do it. And so when you think about what are the points of a performance management system, that, that's what this sort of uh, framework helps you do. And so when you think about, okay, where is somebody at in their career? What does it take to help them get ahead? What is that person's goals at all? So like, you know, step one of a great manager is to understand what does this person want out of their career? How am I going to help them? And then how can I use like a performance conversation to get there? How can I highlight examples? How can I bring to the fore what that person's been trying to work on and how that's been going? How can I, you know, set a sort of set of practices around learning that that person's going to go towards? And then how can I like make the best use of, you know, the coming period for that person to, to get ahead? Um, a system like that, where it's, you know, very geared towards the employee's interest. And then I'm not going to just, ignore them for six months. I'm going to constantly be coaching and giving advice and tying back to those goals. And I'm going to have one-on-ones and ongoing feedback. I think those are the sorts of systems that really are valuable to employees where people can end up learning from it. So we really advocate, of course, for, for that type of model. And it really just starts with the mentality of how do I understand this employee's goals and help them get there with a belief that that's then going to map back to a successful company. When you, when you look at companies and you look at companies that are challenged in performance management, right, I'm curious what, um, 
you know, where most companies fail uh, in that effort. I, I think of it like a two by two. I'm, I'm sure you have a more elegant way to think about it. But the way that I think about it is, let's say on the vertical axis, you have, you know, practices, right? Like best practices. So let's say, you know, it's new practices and existing practices. And on the horizontal, let's say you have execution. So no execution and execution. And what I mean by execution is having a system, having the right cadence, having tools, et cetera. Um, when you see companies that are challenged uh, in their performance management efforts, is it more so um, that they're missing out on, you know, kind of best practices or unique practices that other companies are doing well? Or is the impact more actually in the actual system uh, or the actual execution? So system, cadence, tools, et cetera. I'm sure there's some sort of combination of both, but where on the spectrum do you do you typically find companies that are challenged in performance management? Um, I think execution is probably the more common place that people trip up, particularly today in 2021. We're seeing fewer and fewer companies who are really stuck to an old world, miserable version of performance management that no employee likes. Like that is that has really struggled to hold a lot of traction, I think, in today's world. So we're seeing that less and less. And I think the companies who are doing that have now got so many employees who have worked at a company that's had one of these more modern types of performance management that it, it just doesn't last long and the expectations have changed. So I think it's more to do with executions, typically. Um, and I think the way, the way I would identify it is that really the thing that I think holds people up is an inability to change and adapt their practices with some real pace. And it's not just that you want to be testing new things and you wanna be trying new versions of, of a performance management system, which, which you absolutely do, but also companies are dynamic. Like the, the state of your company today and the state of your company in six months or 12 months or 24 months, it's gonna be very different. And so if you try to, even if you had the perfect performance management system for your company today that, 100% of employees said it was valuable and it was useful and people were getting their feedback. In, in a couple of years, there's almost no chance that it's going to be perfect. And so a big part of it, I think, for, for a great modern people ops team is to understand the dynamic nature of the businesses and the world that they're in and to have a planned effort towards each six-month cadence or however frequently we're going to go through each cycle what are we going to learn? How are we going to figure out what's working and what's not? And how are we going to have a system for adapting? And I think employees are really forgiving when there, are, when there are plans to change and adapt and a shared transparent commitment to here's what worked, here's what didn't work, here's what we're going to do in the future. And generally, even if people didn't like what happened this time, if they hear that sort of commitment and they understand that the team is iterating and trying to change, people will be very forgiving and they'll have a lot of trust. I think when, when employees see sort of a blind, this is what we do, this is how we've always done it, we're going to keep going. I think that's when it's really hard to have sort of the trust you need in that system for employees to, you know, engage with the process the way that you need them to. And, and it really does require employees to engage with it. Like, it's not something that HR can sort of just decree and it'll work. Like, you really need buy-in from, from the employee base. You need them to understand what you're doing and why. And so I think it is more a mentality and an execution that I think holds companies back uh, from, from getting to where they want to go. What are the biggest myths of performance management, Jack? So common things that a layman, you know, or a lay person would hear and think, you know, yeah, that sounds reasonable, but in your experience are not actually true. That's a great question. 
I think one of the surprising things I'll say for a lot of people is that people tend to think that a positive feedback conversation is going to be motivating and inspiring and a difficult or negative feedback conversation is going to make people downtrodden or frustrated and be a hard conversation. And I think what actually happens in reality is, is many times the reverse where sometimes the, the conversations that are the most motivating are actually somewhat confrontational are actually somewhat negative in spirit, but when they come with an understated tone of, I'm telling you this because I believe in you, I trust you, I want the best for you, for your team, for this company. And so I got to just level with you and I got to tell you how X, Y, and Z is holding back you or our business or whatever. Sometimes those conversations are actually the ones that people remember the most that sort of change the trajectory of their careers that can kick people into a new gear and get them inspired and motivated. And so I think this idea that hard conversations are scary and hard, um, while there's a grain of truth, and of course they can be difficult, sometimes those can be the most rewarding. And so I guess what I would encourage people is to lean in when you've got those moments and understand that the difficult conversations are often what sort of um, you'll look back on and say, wow, that was a turning point um, that, that led to something that led to something really great. I would actually even abstract that out just from the individual conversation to overall company cultures. And I think similarly, people tend to assume that um, the, the easy moments for the company are when you're going to have all this beautiful culture. And when things are just all up into the right, you're going to fortify this amazing, happy culture, which there's some truth to that. Um, the, the other side of it, though, is that people think that when things are hard, it's going to be a real tax on the culture. It's going to be difficult. And what I've seen is a lot of times in the difficult moments, in the real challenges, when you go through something taxing, um, the tribulations that every company has to endure, a lot of times those are the moments when real culture is forged. Um, and when you really establish, this is who we are, these are our values, this is the way we treat people. And so I would really encourage both at the company level and then at the individual uh, people level to really lean in. When those when those difficult but authentic moments come about, to say, "Hey, this is this is what matters." How do you think about translating that back into the product? One of the things that I think is uniquely interesting about your company specifically is, you know, in tech we talk a lot about how, you know, when you're selling software, you're you're selling software, but then you know, ultimately the experience of that software is is a function of how the organization leverages the product, right? Um, and I'd put that kind of on a spectrum or scale. There's, there's products where, um, you know, something like email, for example, which, you know, you can have a pretty high tolerance for, uh, for bad and organizations at the end of the day still need email, right? Um, I think about Lattice as something interesting, which is a lot of the success of the product and the company is, of course, developed, you know, based on the software that you guys roll out. But a lot of it is based on something that's not in your control, which is a company's culture. Now, of course, I think the, the right way to think about it or the argument is that with the right tools, with the right system, with the right cadence, you can have a, you can have a measurable impact on a company's culture. But how do you think about that problem or kind of that variable that might not necessarily be in your control, you know, when compared to other, you know, software products, et cetera, that don't have that same impetus? How does that how does that affect the way you think about the space? How does that affect the way you, you think about and you guys build in the product? Yeah, it's a very insightful question because for us, it's not just the software. It's how does the company use it? What do they believe in? 
What are their goals? What's their culture like? And so I think as a result, we've probably leaned into a lot of sort of, I'll say like auxiliary products or services that are not just the software, but things like our community or our content and media brand or the type of service, like sort of, you know, uh, much more white glove service than you would typically expect from a company that has sort of our average customer size. And so I think for us, it's not that we're necessarily trying to sell a particular culture or export exactly what we believe is the right company culture, because we very decidedly don't believe that there is a correct way for a company's culture to be. Um, But what we do want to do is help sort of stand for a certain type of philosophy and a certain type of way of doing business as a company that we believe will generally align to our products, both because I think that helps us sort of send out a bat signal to the world so that those sort of only, you know, very people-centric companies will come to us because if you're not one, our products are unlikely to, to work well for you. But also I think to kind of help bring people who are, you know, maybe somewhere else along the spectrum to come around a little bit more towards our way of thinking. Um, but we do it in this much more broad and ephemeral way where we're trying to be a champion and, you know, sort of a highlighter of this is how these people-centric companies can succeed and sort of why all of the best companies in the world today, I think, are thinking this way and sort of encouraging the world to operate like this. And so we don't need companies to believe A, B, C, or D, but we do need companies to think that the key to their success is their employees' success if we want them to be successful using Lattice. So we do do a lot around sort of championing that transition in the world. Yeah, and as you've been transitioning, as you've been kind of championing that transition, right, and you guys have, of course, deployed, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, you guys have about 3,500 customers um, or more. What are the most surprising things you've learned from the deployment of that product um, into organizations? And, and I should mention, you know, you all are also a very interesting test case of Lattice yourselves um, because of the hyperscale nature of your, your own company's growth, right? And so some of these, some of these surprises, some of these observations uh, that you have might even be from deployment of Lattice in your own organization. How, what are some of the things that have been most surprising or most insightful as, as you've seen this now play out at, at a number of companies? One of the surprising things um, is it, you, 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 you know that companies are heterogeneous and you know that not all companies do things the same way. But there's this second variable, which is complicating, which is that within each company, they have a very, very heterogeneous employee base. And so anything that you're going to do in people management is naturally going to touch all of your employees. And there is no way that they're all going to be happy with the same thing. And so what any user of Lattice will find is that some percentage of their employees are very happy with what they've done. Some are unhappy with it and they're going to make changes. And then all of a sudden the ones who used to be happy with it are going to be less happy with it. And this can be all sorts of things like what questions do we care about asking in the employee engagement survey? Or do we do ratings in our performance review system? Or how complicated is our leveling system? Or is public feedback visible? Like, is that is, is positive feedback visible to everybody or not? And, you know, there's all of these different, there's, you know, dozens and dozens more that are sort of common parameters that a company needs to think about. And you're not going to make everybody happy all the time. There's just, there's just no way people have different interests, people have different views. And, um, that's part of the great strength, I think, of, of a company and what makes it robust is that you've got all these different perspectives. 
Um, I think the, the key to making this successful is transparent communicative leadership around what you're doing and why. And so there's a way to say, hey, we're not going to do everything that's going to make you happy every single time. There's just no way. It's not going to happen like that. Um, but what we are going to do is we're going to listen. We're going to communicate to you what we're doing and why. We're going to report back on progress. And we're going to update our thinking as time goes on. And, you know, with, with a message like that and, you know, following your footsteps behind that kind of message, even if employees are frustrated with what you chose or don't like it, um, they'll generally still trust you as long as you've committed to listening, hearing them out, explaining what you did and why. Um, and so I think that's the kind of mentality you have to bring to these things. And you have to treat it as like an ongoing process where you sort of keep communicating like, like with any relationship. Jack, we're going to round out the conversation on the, on the famous Peter Thiel question, but as applied to your space, what's one thing about people management you believe in that others wouldn't agree with you on? I, I generally really believe that trusting people and letting them do jobs that are too big for them is more likely than not going to lead to great performance. I think in general, people will rise to the level of your expectations for them will rise to the opportunity in front of them. And so I think in general, it's much better to trust somebody who's got the will and who's got the conviction and courage and motivation to do something hard, even if they've never done it, as long as you sort of give them the parameters and, and believe in them. And I think so often as a company scales, it's tempting to kind of go out and find somebody who's been there and done that rather than bet on sort of the team that you've got in seat and keep trusting them with bigger and bigger responsibilities. And I think certainly sometimes that's really important and finding people who can support, you know, and, you know, guide and make sure that, you know, your company isn't sort of scrambling through the dark. But in general, I've seen time and time again that people can do much more than uh, they're typically given credit for if they're sort of given the, the scope and the chance to prove themselves. Jack, this was this is awesome. I'm glad you were able to make the time. You know, thanks again for joining us for round two, and and really looking forward to seeing, you know, Lattice continue to soar and and continuing to track the progress of the business. So thanks again. Really, really. My pleasure. Time. Yeah. Thanks so much.